भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रं पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुष्टुवागंसनू व्यशेम देवितयदायु स्वस्तीन इंद्रो वृद्धस्रवा स्वस्तीन पूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्तीन स्ताक्षो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्तिनो बृहस्पतिर्दा शाति 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 हरि मे वी हियर विथ अवर यस वॉट इज ऑस्पिशियस मे वी सी विथ अवर आईज वॉट इज ऑस्पिशियस वाइल प्रेइंग विथ स्टडी लिम्स मे वी अटेन द लाइफ स्पैन अलॉटेड टू अस मे इंद्र बेस्टो वेलबिंग ऑन अस मे पूषण the god of the earth who is all knowing bestow wellbeing on us may garura the destroyer of evil bestow wellbeing on us may brihaspati also bestow wellbeing on us om shanti 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 so in the last class we were studying the first three mantras of the second chapter of the second part of mundaka upanishad and in the third mantra we found that the upanishad with the help of an allegory is trying to explain us the process by which we can get united unified with our spiritual identity which is the non dual existence which alone, which again is the only non dual reality behind the entire creation that i am one with brahman and to realize that to get established in that knowledge the process has been described in the third and in the fourth mantra which we are yet to study with the help of an allegory so as the third and fourth mantras are related we will again start our discussion today from the third mantra we will describe it will just as a summary and then proceed to the fourth mantra so what the third third mantra what it is saying dhanu grihitva upanishadanam dhanu grihitva upanishadam mahastram sharan hi उपासनीशित आयम्य तत्वगतेन चेतसा लक्ष्यम तत्व अक्षर सौम्य विधि धनु गृहता गृहवा उपनिषद महास्त्र सो उपनिषद इज द ग्रेट वेपन महास्त्र वॉट इज दैट वॉट इज दैट महास्त्र इट इज इन द फॉर्म ऑफ ए बो in sanskrit astra means any weapon which is used to shoot something and shastra means something which you hold in your hand like sword is a shastra and bow and arrow is an astra so here it is a great weapon upanishad 
in the form of dhanu it is in the form of the bow hold on to that and then sharang hi upasa nishitam sandhaita the shara the arrow which has to be sharpened through upasana that you fix it on that bow so what is that shara shara is the jivatma the individual self that has to be sharpened the intellect has to be sharpened through upasana that's the arrow that sharpened arrow is the jivatma which you place in the bow which is upanishad means resort to the upanishad ayamya tat bhavagatena chetasa ayamya ayam means to pull back the string before we shoot the arrow the to gain the momentum we pull back the string so this pulling back is ayamya tat bhavagatena chetasa pulling back the string means restraining yourself from the worldly pursuits from the sensate pursuits of our day to day existence i withdraw myself that's what the ayamya has to be understood in that sense so i withdraw myself tat bhavagatena chetasa so it speaks of shama and dhamma i withdraw my senses not only shama and dhamma it also speaks of the samadhana the what is the samadhana that my mind is chetasa my mind is fixed in the thought of that imperishable reality tat bhavagatena so my mind is full of the contemplation of brahman so sharpened by the meditation drawing the string so hit the very target that which is imperishable lakshyam tat eva aksharam that imperishable existence is the target you hit it somya vidhi so with the absorbed mind in its thought in the thought of the brahman you shoot the arrow so that it hits the target not only it hits the target the arrow should become one with the target when the arrow enters pierces through the target it as it becomes one with the target so the jivatma becomes one with the paramatma so here the upanishad taking upanishad as the great weapon as the bow it's actually speaking of that as you have to sharpen it through upasana it's not speaking of the studying the upanishads as such after studying the upanishads i have known the essence of it the essence of upanishad is the brahman and that brahman's vachaka the way we express the concept of brahman the word which we use to express the concept of brahman is om so actually om is the bow that will be spoken of in the next mantra so here taking the essence of the upanishad which is brahman whose symbol is om that is my bow i take that as a bow and sharang the individual soul or the jivatma which is a reflection of consciousness or brahman the reflection on my psychophysical existence to give me the sense of this limited individuality this local consciousness that's the shara that has to be sharpened tikshnikrita 
by upasana upasanishitam means upasana upasana dwara tikshnikrita sharpened by it is sharpened tikshnikrita by meditation by upasana by means of uninterrupted meditation on brahman so it has to be uninterrupted the upasana it's not that just uh, whenever i feel like i do contemplation rest of the time i am again immersed in the worldly way of life that won't do so the bahuvritti the vagaries of the mind has to get focused into ekavritti one thought it should be always there in the background of my mind when i am meditating my mind should be focused even when i am not meditating when i am performing all my activities as that has become the mode of contemplation as the passion of my life so it is there always in the background of my mind just the way the object which i love i can never forget whatever may i may be doing the object of my love is always there in the background of my mind similarly when i get uh acquainted when i get uh, absorbed in the thought of brahman when it has become a part and parcel of my life even when i have not meditating it's there as if in the background of my mind that's the ekavritti that's the brahmakara vritti your mind has taken the form of brahman that's what's meant by brahma akara vritti it has taken the form the concept of brahman is being taken by the each and every thought waves that has become your mode of contemplation so that is what is meant by upasa nishitam so the arrow has to be sharpened with that type of contemplation and then as we told ayamya tad bhavagatena chetasa drawing the string means withdrawing the sense organs tad bhavagatena chetasa means immersing the mind in the thought of brahman alone and laksha is the paramatma so by contemplating the meaning of om and repeating the vachaka the sound the aspirant gradually realizes himself to be the reflection of brahman hitting the arrow to the target indicates the identification of the jivatma and the paramatma so through so the process of contemplation jivatma loses all its attributes and becomes one with paramatma so this is the very interesting thing that whenever i know a thing whether it is myself or anything in the world what i know is only the attributes just take a red flower what the actual red flower is i never know what i know is its color its texture its shape its fragrance these are the attributes which speaks of which defines the flower but the flower in essence what it is the flower in essence what it is in which is adhered all those attributes that is always unknown and unknowable you can never know that the thing in essence i can never know but one thing i can never deny that something is there which my mind interprets as the red flower all the these things the color the 
fragrance, everything as we have discussed again and again, is the projection of the mind. So all the attributes are actually the projection of the mind. The thing in essence, what it is, which I never know, it as a suggestion, when interacts with my mind, appears as the red flower, is projected as a red flower. In the same way, the mind, when tries to find out my real nature, what is happening, the real nature, the essence, when is being projected by the mind, is appearing as this limited self. So again, I can never ever know the essence of my being. It's only the attributes which I know. And those attributes are nothing but the projection of the mind. And that projection is possible when the self is behind the mind, activating the mind. Without the self, this projection is not possible. So here, the Upanishad asserts that whatever I am seeing, in essence, it is, it's not that there is nothing in essence. That's the difference between, the subtle difference between Buddhism and the Vedanta. The Buddhism denies anything in essence. This, the idea is subjective idealism, that everything is just a mere projection of the mind. Where Vedanta says that something must be there on which the things are being projected. That is acting as a suggestion, as an irritant on which we are as if throwing the saliva. Just the way the pearl is formed. The pearl, how is formed? That a particular type of mollusk, when it's irritated by a sand particle, it the mollusk will dive deep into the ocean and start secreting its saliva as if it's saliva or on that irritant, on that sand particle. And it's the saliva which gets converted into the pearl. The entire world is actually like that a pearl. What is outside, I don't know. It acts as an irritant, as if an irritant, a suggestion on which I am projecting my thoughts, my uh, perceptions. And that's what I see. It is actually the pearl which has been formed by my saliva, by my thought waves. So when I am contemplating on Brahman, what's the idea? That you're trying to find out in essence what you are. So automatically the attributes has to fall off. The moment you dive within to go beyond the mind, the attributes has to fall off. And it doesn't take you to a inert state. Even in Buddhism, they find they call Samadhi as a attentive stillness. Even our mind becomes still in deep sleep, but we, we are not attentive of our stillness in deep sleep. In Samadhi, you become attentive of that stillness, the stillness which projects through the mind as this world, as this limited self. So you get identified with that. So how is it possible? By contemplation on the self, on the concept of Atman. This contemplation will take me to the realization. Contemplation to certain extent is an imagination. I read the scriptures and based on that, I have my own imagination about the ultimate reality, which after all is imagination. But today's imagination through this process, when it hits the target, 
it becomes as if one with the target and it becomes realization. Today's imagination becomes tomorrow's realization. So that's the idea which has been spoken of in the third mantra, which will be further elaborated in the fourth mantra. Let us read the fourth mantra. This mantra is very significant as in the last class we were saying, because it will speak of some ideas. In the process of elaboration, we will bring forth the life of Sri Ramakrishna as an example, life of Ramakrishna as an example, <coughs> to find out that what, that how subtle this spiritual journey is, that we should not get hoodwinked by achieving small milestones in our spiritual journey. So that's why scripture has always has to be studied through the lives, the lives which has the lives of the best commentary. The best commentary are the lives of the illumined soul. When we try to understand the scripture through those lives, then the scripture gets revealed. Otherwise, if we just try to understand the scriptures as an abstract st study, in the words of Swami Vivekananda, we will at last make the image of a monkey in our attempt to make the image of Shiva. So this best commentary of the scriptures is the life of these souls who have attained that highest realization. Then this mantra really becomes revealed. So that's what we will try to do when we study the fourth mantra of the second chapter of the second part of Mundak Upanishad. So let's first read the mantra. Pranavo dhanu sharohi atma brahma Tat Lakshyam Uchyate. So here it is more specific. Pranavo Dhanu. Pranav is Omkar. That is the bow. Sharohi Atma. The arrow which has been spoken of in the last mantra. Here it is being specified as the Jivatma. Brahma Tat Lakshyam Uchyate. Brahman. The ultimate reality is the Lakshya. The Jivatma is the arrow and Laksha is the Paramatma. Apramattena Bedhavyam Sharavat Tanmayo Bhavet. Up, this Apramatta, this word is very significant. That means with undistorted mind, without any type of distraction, Apramatta. You have to strike the laksha with total unfocused mind, where there is not the least of distraction. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, that a thread has many fibers. If all the fibers, you have not moistened them, you will find that when I try to insert a thread through the eye of a needle, if a single fiber is not uh, what you say that is intertwined, is move, is is spread out. It is almost impossible to pass the thread through the eye of the needle. All the fibers has to be focused, has to be intertwined, has to be moistened, so that they all as if form a, a just a a single thread 
like an arrow, sharpened arrow. Then only I can enter the thread through the eye of the needle. So this undistorted mind fix of that, that if even a single fiber, even a single uh, thought wave is something which is not speaking of your contemplation, which is a distracted thought. You can never hit the goal. You cannot hit the goal properly. You can never become one with the target. So this apramattata, we will try to understand that how subtle it is. That we think, oh, I have understood. The mind is focused. But it's to understand what this focus means, we will try to relate it, this word with the life of Ramakrishna. We will try to find out that what, that how uh, intense spiritual practice alone can enter the ultimate realization. So it has to be struck with that undistorted mind. Bedhavyam. You have to strike it. Then the Atman becomes one with Brahman as the arrow with the target. Sharavat Tanmayu bhavet, Tanmayata, Tatmaya. The ultimate reality in Upanishad, wherever you will, whenever you will find, they're speaking of the ultimate reality, they use the neuter gender, Tat. Because as it has no attributes, you can just say that, nothing more than that. So Tatmaya, in Sanskrit, Maya means to become totally absorbed. Chin Maya means Chit Maya, the one who is full of consciousness. Similarly, Tan Maya, Tat Maya, that ultimate conscious principle, which is beyond all attributes, which cannot be specified by any particular attribute. That's why it is Tat. The one who has become one with that Tat is Tan Maya, Tat Maya, Tan Maya. So like the Shara, like the arrow, one has become one with the absolute reality. It has to be struck, struck by that undistorted mind, which like an, uh, the, then only it's possible that we become one with that absolute reality. So apramattena bedhavyam. So in, the, in Sanskrit, pramada means the lack of strong resolution. Pramada. <coughs> apramatta means without pramada. <coughs> so. The lack of strong resolution is pramada, <clears throat> forgetfulness about the goal. <clears throat> that I have started my spiritual journey and the distractions makes me forget about my goal now and then. It happens because of the lack of strong resolution. So when you don't have strong resolution, you will be now and then forgetful about the ultimate goal. So I sit for meditation, but because of the lack of strong resolution, I find the mind is wavering. That's what our meditation is. It wavers from the object of contemplation. With such irresolute mind, the goal can never be attained. You can never attend. We can never attend the goal with such irresolute mind. So this is a warning. This apramattena is a warning, the word. The mind <coughs> can come back before attaining that nirvikalpa samadhi, again to this ordinary state of sarvartata. Just sorry.
So it can again come back if we are not very cautious. So as per the various levels of the qualitative attainment of concentration, the knowers of Brahman has been categorized as in this Upanishad, in, in much later, one section there we find, they speak, even the knowers of Brahman, there is a category, there are four categories. What are the four categories? Brahmavid, Brahmavid Vara, Brahmavid Variyan, Brahmavid Varishta. So these four categories, Brahmavid, Brahmavid Vara, Brahmavid Variyan, Brahmavid Varishta. So there are total seven states of attainments. These four are the last four. Before that, the three states in which the world still appears as real. What are those three states? Sarvarthata, you know, the state on which we are. Sarvarthata, that the mind which is dispersed in all our day-to-day -day activities, that is Sarvarthata. And after, with a little practice of meditation, we do get ikagrata, we do get concentration, but it is interspersed with the sarvarthata. That also we understand. That now and then we find that we have developed the knack for meditation, contemplation. We do enjoy, to certain extent, the state of contemplation, but we again fall back to our original, to our day-to-day, -to, -day, to our default mode of existence. So there's a second step. And the third state is Ekagrata has led to the Savikalpa Samadhi. What's that? Means all the thoughts have fallen off. Only the, the idea that I am Brahman, that alone is in their mind. Everything else has fallen off. But still that is not realization. Still it's the contemplation. It has not gone to the realization, it is still the mind which is saying, I am Brahman. The mind is not the Brahman. The mind itself, yeah, the mind is not the Brahman, but it is the mind who is saying, I am Brahman. And that is the only vritti, the Brahmakara vritti which is in your mind. Everything has fallen off. So from that, again, I can come back. And again, the world will be as it is for me, though I have attained quite high state. So these are the first three steps. After that, the fourth state is the state in which you become Brahmavid. Brahmavid. For the first time, you have reached the state of Nirvikalpa Samadhi. This Brahmakara Vritti has enabled you to get rid of the Mula Agyana. So we need not go to the technical thing. Just to understand that as we have told that this, this one vritti has ensured a flow. The flow is so intense that I am meditating. That idea has also fallen off. The ego also has been taken away by your thought on that absolute reality to make the mind totally one with the object of meditation and for the time being, the ego has fallen off. The mind also is now, the vrittis have fallen off. The vrittis have totally sub, subsided to take us to a state of equanimity. And as it is a state beyond the mind, for the first time, it 
gives us a realization, a face-to-face -face realization of the absolute reality, which cannot be spoken of in words, but if the characteristics by which we can to a certain extent distinguish that state is that I don't lose the idea that I am. Amnes is still there when you go beyond the mind, but that amnes has lost the sense of locality. At present, with my eyes closed with all the indriyas, I have restricted. Most probably I'm kept in a dark room, totally soundproof, no light. There I will find I get totally disoriented because we are, uh, our senses are always hungry for perceptions. When you just stop all of them, there's a sense of disorientation. But very interesting thing, you never lose the sense of locality. That I am, I am, though I am not uh, feeling at ease in that situation, but the amnes is still there and that amnes is localized. I know I am enclosed in some space where no light is there, no sound is there, no perceptions are possible, I am located there. But when you go to the Samadhi, when the mind at last, that Brahmakara Vritti takes you beyond the mind, when the last bit of the mind, which is required to keep your ego intact, that also has been taken away. Immediately the amnes goes to a state of non-locality. You realize for the first time you are, but that is not local. It is beyond time, space, causation. That's the one thing which we realize. And another thing is the world as it is beyond the mind, this world as if obliterate, it's not there. The phenomenal existence obliterates, it's no more there. So is that the state which gives you the realization that you alone are there? The entire creation, nothing is there. You alone are there. And that, this unitary existence, when uh, is uh, associated with the mind, then this world pops up. So for the first time, when we go to that realization, so that's the state from where there is no fallback. When I come back, now as I have gone to the realization, nothing can take me away that realization. As again and again, we give that example of Swami Vivekananda. For the first time, when he was passing through the desert and he was thirsty and he was in search of water, he saw a huge reservoir, he was moving towards it and the reservoir vanished. So he realized that it is a mirage of which he has studied from his childhood, but for the first time he realized it. So what was the difference? Next day, again, the mirage was visible. The reservoir was visible, but it couldn't drag him. So when you come back from that realization, in scripture they say, Vyutthana, coming back is a Vyutthana. So Abrahamavid, when he, what, he goes to that realization, but he comes back. Again, he comes back. And he comes back by his own will. As for the first time he has entered into that state, he comes out because his mind is still full of the Brahmakara Vritti. As we told, it is that the mind acts in two ways. 
from the external suggestion activates the mind and the subconscious mind constantly is popping, popping up as the bubble in the conscious mind to make all the ideas perceptible. So from the, that's why my mind is so disturbed at present, I try to focus my mind with a conscious attempt to think of one thing, but the subconscious mind is full of all those distractions. They pop up and disturb and break my concentration. When I reach that state, that ultimate state for the first time, when you have gone to that realization beyond the mind, the mind has been arrested for the time being because of your conscious attempt, yet it has been arrested. But we should always remember that now the mind is full of Brahmakara Vritti, Eka Vritti. It is saturated with that. That pops up from the subconscious mind. Nothing else is there. That alone, that Brahmakara Vritti is there. That pops up to break the state of the arrested state of the mind, the economic state of the mind. And again, the thought wave pops up, and that is the thought of Brahma, that I am Brahman. So a Brahmavid Vara, though he has understood the world is unreal, but he comes back by his own will from that state of Nirvikalpa Samadhi. So that's the fourth step. Why we are speaking of all those things? To understand Apramatena. Even here, our spiritual journey doesn't end. The easiest step, when one who is absorbed in the thought of Brahman, which has taken him to that Nirvikalpa state, and he enjoys the Nirvikalpa state so much that it has it is gradually becoming the habitual state of his existence. The subconscious mind filled with the Brahmakara Vritti is losing its power. This is getting its strength. Then what happens? A state comes when this, uh, what you say, this. Uh, he can come out from the state, from that state, only when he is aided by others. So here we will understand what we are saying. That Ramakrishna, when he went into the Nirvikalpa state, in six months, for six months, he was in that state. It was the will of the divine. It was the will of the divine that someone came. From where he came, we don't know. That whenever he found that Ramakrishna is as if coming down a bit from that state of Nirvikalpa Samadhi, though he is not in his condition to come down to take care of his day-to-day -day activities, he somehow used to thirst some food in his mouth. And that's how Ramakrishna was sustained for six long months in that state, if you read the life. So what happens? That he has, his state of absorption is so intense, by his own will he cannot come back. He needs the help of someone else to bring him back from that state. So that's the, the sixth thing. So the, the, the fourth state is he comes back from his Nirvikalpa Samadhi by his own will. And then the fifth state, uh, uh, sorry, sorry the, the fourth state, he has just reached the state of Nirvikalpa Samadhi. The fifth state, he can come back by his own will. The sixth state is he needs the help of others. That's the state of Brahmavid Varyan. And last is the Brahmavid Varishta, where he's so much absorbed, the arrested state of mind. There is no means 
neither his own will nor the external world can bring him back from that state. As Sri Ramakrishna in the gospel says that one who has reached that state in 21 days, his body falls off. He has reached that state. His body will fall off because uh, he cannot by any means come back to this state of existence. So why we are just describing all those things which are all mentioned in the scriptures? The two things that to understand the word apramat, the Upanishad is saying that if you want to become one with the reality, then you cannot stop unless and until you have reached that highest state where you get totally merged with the absolute reality. So it's not that, uh, that for us, this is the thing which we are going to try. Even if we try, we cannot reach that state. It's what we are intending to just uh, uh, discuss is to come to the idea that what that absolute goal is, which has been spoken of in this mantra, by which indicates becoming one with the absolute. So till that seventh step, where we are becoming totally absorbed with the absolute, with no chance of coming back, it speaks of pramattata. So we will find a very interesting thing. There's in the conversation of Sri Ramakrishna and Tutapuri is very significant as per in this in, in the context of this mantra. So when Sri Ramakrishna asks Tutapuri that why you practice meditation even after the attainment of Samadhi, Tutapuri replied that a brass vessel or a copper vessel has to be polished every day. What it speaks of? Apramattata. Apramattata. It has to be polished every day. But though you have reached quite a high state, you can come back from it. Or if you are satisfied, you won't move ahead of it, that you will just get stuck in that milestone. So a brass vessel has to be polished every day. And Ramakrishna's reply is also very significant. He immediately replied, what if the vessel gets transformed into gold? The gold never gets tarnished. You need not have to polish it every day. So what when the mind has achieved that state where there is no deviation at all, then it has got transformed into gold. Then the practice is of no use. You have gone beyond the practice. As Gautam Buddha used to say, that no one carries the raft on his shoulder. Once he has crossed the river, the practice has no meaning. So once the yogi has reached the fourth step of Nirvikalpa Samadhi, the world becomes illusory to him. But still, he has not been totally absorbed with the highest ideal, becoming one with the Brahman. So that we will try to understand, that, that to explain that Apramatata, we will under, try to understand that state. In the fourth step, what it has the moment you have once even gone to that Nirvikalpa Samadhi, the eighth mantra of this chapter will speak of that state. It speaks what, what happens when you reach that Nirvikalpa Samadhi even for the first time. Vidyate Ridaya Granthi Chidyante Sarva Sankshayaha Kshiyante Chasya Karmani Tasmin Drishte Paravare Ridaya Granthi, all the knots of the heart will tear off, will cut asunder. Nothing can cause the bondage anymore. 
chidyante sarva samshaya. All the doubts falls or vanish because it's only the realization which can take us beyond all doubts. As long as I have not seen the ocean, I have read about the ocean in a geography book. A small child has read, read about the ocean in a geography book. He's yet to see the ocean. Anyone can make him doubt about the existence of ocean by saying, no, it's all nonsense. There's nothing such, so th- nothing called ocean. It's all nonsense and the child may believe. But once the child has seen the ocean, can anyone make him doubt about the existence of ocean? It's impossible. This knowledge is realization. Once I realize that is no more concept, no one can make, just create a doubt about its existence. So once I have went to that realization, all the doubts fall off. Sarva Sankshaya, all the doubts vanishes. You become Gata Sankshaya, Dhrira Nishchaya, as in the Aratrikam song we sing about the Ramakrishna. Gata Sankshaya, all the doubts have vanished. It is Gata, it's no more there. Dhrira Nishchaya, you are firm in your conviction. So that's what happens when even once you went to the Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Kshiyante Chasya Karmani. All the karma, this, we know that the, any actions we do, we have to accrue the result. So all the results of action falls off. I won't have to spend out the act with all the karmas which I have done. The all, everything falls, falls off. When? Tasmin Drishte Paravare. The one who is both the high and the high elements, the Brahman first manifests itself as the cosmic mind. And the cosmic mind again projects itself as the world. So cosmic mind is the high, the cause, the effect is this world, the Virat, the tangible world. Everything is being projected by Brahman. So one who has seen that Brahman, who is the cause of everything, the cause as well as the effect. Once we have realized that, once he has become one, we, uh, once we have just even for a for a fraction of moment have become one with it, even if he is with he comes back. Now all the Hridaya Granthi, all the things which binds us, that is going to fall off. As we were saying, when Swami Vivekananda, once he saw the once he realized the, uh, this, uh, the, that the reservoir is nothing but the mirage, the second day it cannot pull him. That speaks of falling, that's a cutting ascender of the Ridaya Granthi. All the things which binds us, that has cut ascender. They cannot bind me anymore. All the doubt vanishes because I've seen the reality. And all the karma loses its effect. It cannot, the karma also cannot bind me once I have realized that ultimate reality. So, so, but though the karma is consumed, the yoga is still to attain that ultimate tanmayata or intense absorption as has been indicated by Sharavat Tanmaya Bhavet. So though he has reached that fourth state, but still he is not tanmaya. This can be understood in a very nice incidence of life of Ramakrishna. You know that when Totapuri, Ramakrishna's sannyasa guru, his guru, he was, suff- he's, was suffering from some stomach ailments. It was high because of the 
Calcutta, Kolkata weather, he was, he became dyspeptic and it was, it created such a discomfort that he also attained Nirvikalpa Samadhi. So he had no attachment for life. The world appeared illusory to him, but at the same time, he couldn't have that Tanmayata because this body was to certain extent dragging him. When he had a very strong body, he could be absorbed in the contemplation of Brahman. But now, though he has realized uh, the ultimate reality, but he has not become Tanmaya. So this body, he found is a this cause of uh, dis-ease, means ease has gone. So he was about to go and immerse himself in the Ganga. Just, but we know that uh, whatever may be the reason that day, the water of Ganga, because of the low ebb, the, uh, the water of Ganga was very, very shallow. He couldn't drown himself. He found the play of the divine. He came back. But what's the idea? That even though you have went to the realization, still because of the lack of Tanmayata, can make you feel diseased, dis-ease. Just compare it with the life of Ramakrishna. When he was suffering from that cancer, anyone is to ask him, how are you, sir? He used to he would find that no one could take away the bliss from him. He used to say, tar jane, mon tumi The body knows its uh, all the sickness, all its, its disease, all its suffering. The mind is at bliss because it is tanmaya. It is absorbed in that absolute reality. So even all the bodily discomfort in no way can distract him in any way. So that's what we're speaking. The tanmayata, just to understand the word tanmayata, we are discussing all these states which has been indicated in our scriptures. So what are the hindrances in the state of attaining the tanmayata? It has been in a, one of the slokas in Mandyuka Karika, it speaks of three hindrances in reaching that state of tanmayata. What are the three hindrances? They are termed as laya, vikshepa, and the kashaya is very interesting. I will just read the sloka and we'll just have a short discussion of it to explain that the subtlety of the word apramatta, that how strongly absorbed we have to be to get one with the absolute so that there cannot be any coming, coming back from that state. So what's that sloka? Lai sambodhait chittam vikshiktam Shamayet punaha sakashayam vijaniyat sama praptam nachalayet. So uh, the Sanskrit may be a bit uh, abstruse, but it's actually some speaking something very in a simple way. Lay. When you know when the mind is extremely focused in one thought, the it goes to laya, means what happens? So yeah, suddenly that you, you are supposed to be at have attentive stillness, but the attention is gone. The stillness gives such a rest that you go to a state of stupor. We get to a state of stupor and we enjoy, we enjoy that stupor. In meditation, we know that for most of us, it happens when the mind, the restless mind for the first time is getting concentrated, focused, 
The mind goes to a state of rest and my mind immediately is not getting distracted, but its focus is gone. It's still still, but the attentive stillness is not there. It goes to a state of stupor. So that is laya. So whenever you're going to the state of laya, recognize it. Sambodhan, sambodhayat means say the mind, you're going to that state of stupor, come back from it. The mind has to be focused when it gets distracted. That is vikshepa. Sometimes we find it goes to the state of stupor. Sometimes, yes, even in that state, there may be vikshipta. Again, through shama, through the mental focus, concentration, I have to bring it back. There's a second obstruction. Third is this kashaya. Kashaya is very interesting. That when all the vagaries of mind have fallen off, you are chitta is just focused in the thought ahom brahmasmi. It gives a tremendous bliss. Why that bliss comes? You know, because even unknowingly, we are carrying the baggage of so many thoughts in the form of worries, tensions, concerns, anticipations. We are always carrying. We have got habituated with all those baggages which we are always as if traveling through this life. The baggage is always with us. Suddenly, those baggage has been taken away. Just imagine that you have you are you are on a travel, you are trekking with lot of baggages, the, the load of baggage is behind you. You're, as you are habituated with it, you don't feel it. It is there. But if someone takes it away from you, immediately you find a let go. Ah, I was carrying such a weight. I was, I got so habituated with it that I was not even realizing that I'm carrying it weight. But when it has been taken away from me, immediately a let go ensues, giving you a tremendous sense of relaxation. And from that, a joy emanates. So this is the tremendous bliss that comes when your mind has become focused. You're totally attentive. Liar, the mind is still, but I am not attentive. Vikshepa, the stillness has gone. Kashaya, I am still, I am attentive. But with that attention, a bliss has ensued. And now my mind holds on to that bliss. Doesn't want to go beyond that. So that's the thing which again we have to understand. That is called this kashaya actually is rasaswada. The bliss which ensues from that state of contemplation. You start enjoying the bliss out of it. Rasa aswada. You do. In the life of Ramakrishna you will find as he was the worshipper of the mother Kali. Whenever he had to, his mind was had to be focused Immediately it will go into that Savikalpa Samadhi where he had the vision of the mother. When Totapuri asked him to concentrate his mind beyond all this name and form, he easily could get rid of all the distractions, easily. But at last the form of the mother, the smiling mother will come in his vision and he could never cross that. So again and again he was failing and Tutapuri at last just to stress the need for going beyond that took a broken glass piece and pierced it between the eyebrows of Ramakrishna and asked him to concentrate there. 
This time again, the form of the mother came. If you read the life of Ramakrishna, what he says, but the, when the form of the mother came with the Jnana Asi, the sword of knowledge, he bisected, he as if bisected, dissected the form of the mother and immediately the mind went into that Nirvikalpa Samadhi. So just see why we are discussing all those things. These are all mentioned in the scriptures that my mind can go into the state of Kashaya. So that Rasaswada can become the ultimate uh, hindrance, not allowing me to become one with the Absolute. But again, we will say it all depends on temperament. In the entire Bhakti Shastra, totally discourages that's going to that state of identification. So we must say that here, just to do justice to the study of the Upanishads, we are just explaining all the states. But one who have entered the state of bliss, there is no harm to continue in that state through eternity. As Chaitanya Mahaprabhu used to say that I don't want to become sugar, I want to taste sugar. That in the Bhakti Shastra, that Rasaswada has been considered as the Absolute. But here in the Upanishad, when we are trying to understand the Upanishad, when they say you are becoming one with the Absolute, we have to understand that yes, there are, as per the temperament is concerned, there are sadhakas who want to go beyond all sorts of phenomenal existence. They even want to go beyond that bliss to merge in the Absolute. So for that, this mantra speaks of that apramattata. Don't get stuck off before that in any, that the hindrance may come in so many ways. It may come as laya, it may come as vikshepa, it may come as kashaya. Kashaya is the ultimate, where you enjoy that immense bliss, where I am Brahmanese, I am contemplating on Brahman. Though I, I say I am Brahman, still the duality is there. You are not Brahman. It's the mind who is saying I am Brahman. But it ensures tremendous bliss because all the vagaries of mind has fallen off. That let go has ensured. A tremendous tranquility has ensured, giving it tremendous joy. So if you have to become one with the Absolute, you have to go beyond that. That's what the Apramatta word is speak, spoken of. Then only the bow becomes one. Then only the arrow becomes one with the target, the Paramatman. Not before that. But again, we will just, just say that, stress that point, that once we have reached the state, the fourth state, as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Vach Khala, going to that state and again coming back to this state. It's a game which can go on and on to allow us to, en to enjoy the test of that bliss, the test of that bliss which ensues from that intense uh, contemplation. So, but to understand this, the real context of this mantra, we have resorted to all these other scriptural references to say that what this word apramatta actually means. So when I'm not carried away with any of these distractions, then only the arrow is sharpened enough to become one with the absolute. There are yogis who aspire for that. So 
That's the thing which we are indicating. So for, what's the thing that we are speaking of such a high state? But the basic thing is to understand that stop not till the goal is reached. That our aspiration should be always very high. That there should be an ad, adventure in the path itself. We shouldn't stop in any of the this milestones thinking that I have achieved everything. So all the various religious movement come out from that type of little achievement. I have achieved everything and so many sects and other things forms from that state. So that actually is the cause of formation of so many conventional religious bodies. They're all good, but we shouldn't get stuck up in them. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, that it is good to be born in a church. By church, it doesn't mean only a particular religion. Church means any conventional religion. It is good to be born in a church, but it is horrible to die there. If a plant which has been fenced, as it is a sapling, as it is when the plant grows, there's no need for the fence. The fence has to fall off. So till that plant has grown, the spiritual and spiritually, we have become a huge tree. The fencing may be required, but the fencing has to fall off. It's not something which is permanent. All these conventional religions has to fall off when you have outgrown them. So the outgrow all these conventional religions that way when is not to be despised, not to be negated. They're all good. We need them, but we shouldn't remain bound within that. Our aspirations should be should help us to go beyond these bounds. We use the bounds to go beyond the bounds. So all this, that way, the uh, conventional religions, all the denominations doesn't lose its relevance. They're still relevant. But they, uh, at the same time, we are not bound by them. They become the stepping stone to our journey towards eternity. So with this, we stop our discussion today. We'll continue uh, with the succeeding mantras uh, again in the next class. Uh, thank you all. Namaskars.